Coming to you live. Live. And podcasting around the globe. You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast. Guaranteed to tickle your real estate loving ear holes. And now, here's your host, world-renowned TV heartthrob and investor extraordinaire, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with the Best Deal Ever Show, and on today's episode, I am joined by Angela Flory. Angela, how you doing? Hey, Ken. I'm great. How are you? Very good. Good to have you here. Now, you are in uh, Long Island, is that right? Yes, I'm in Amityville, Long Island, New York. Okay. Wow. You know, it's like 32 degrees in Atlanta right now. I can't even imagine how cold it is yep, up there. It's just about the same here. Is it about Freezing. the same? Any snow on the ground or anything crazy? Nope. Just miserably cold. <laughs> and this is, this is like middle of November. It should not be this cold right now. Yeah, no. It's, it's nuts. It's the inevitable coming. <laughs> That's right. You know it's coming. Hey, so tell us about your business. You've, uh, you've been in Fixing the Flip for how many years? So we started uh, about five years ago, uh, my husband and I, uh, he's an architect, I'm a designer, and uh, we started with uh, fix and flips because we love construction, we, and as a designer, you know, we enjoyed, um, you know, fixing houses and like, you know, organizing spaces, layouts and stuff, so we, we were very motivated, we got into our first flip, and after that, we were like on fire. This thing just took off, and uh, and we we've done a bunch of houses, and um, yeah, we absolutely love it. So mostly single family, right? Yeah. So so right now it's single family homes um, out here on the island, out east mostly, and uh, we're looking to transition into rental properties, which okay. are probably going to be single family homes as well. Gotcha. And hopefully in the future, you know, in a two three years maybe we will be doing. Uh, you know, uh, 10 unit, 20 unit, uh, buildings. Yep. Yep. That's a natural progression. A lot of folks, yeah. Especially once you start acquiring rentals, you're like, well, why am I going to do onesie twosies when I can get 10 or 50 at a time? Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So now were you a designer then before you guys got into flipping houses? Yes. So I was born in Colombia, and oh. my dream was, and I started painting and fine arts. I wanted to be an artist and my dream was to move to New York city to study design. And I did. I went to graduate school and uh, I, you know, it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was everything I ever wanted. And then I met my husband and moved out to Long Island, which is a whole different world. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, but I kept working and uh, as a designer, I worked in marketing for about 10 years in large agencies in the city. Oh, wow. And, uh, and once, you know, I became a serious person, married and stuff. And I thought that, you know, I, I need, you know, to be closer to home. So I, we wanted to do something for ourselves. Like I always want to be my own boss. So I said, you know what, let's just get into this. Let's start uh, uh, flipping houses. And he's an architect, I'm a designer. What could be better than that? I was about to say, it's a winning combination right there between the two of you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Now I, you know, I've got some buddies up there and I know for a fact that it is not easy to source houses. So what are you guys doing to find houses up there? Right, so it's a very expensive market, one of the most expensive in the country. Uh, what we do is we are on a bunch of wholesalers lists. Um, these guys only do that. And, um, so we, so we get properties from them. We also like to source the MLS because they're, you know, some deals are posted there, even mm -hmm. by wholesalers or, you know, REO agents and stuff. Right. And, um, and sometimes we go to the steps ourselves and bid. On properties. Oh, okay. All right. You're buying at auction still. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very cool. 
So uh, over the last five years, I am sure that there is one deal that stands out to you as your best deal ever. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this deal we bought from a wholesaler. He actually had gone through the steps and bid on this property and uh, put it out on the MLS. And we saw it. It said contract vendee, which in my area, it means it's an assignment of contract. There was no other information. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that you know that that's the price and that's it. That's, you know, it, there's no negotiation contingencies or anything. And you have to move very fast. So we saw it. We went out there. We, we, the property was completely boarded up um, and very wet and dark inside. And once we were able to get in, it was completely... Uh, it was full of mold. It was dark. You can see anything. The pictures that we took show like nothing, but they're basically dark. And we said, you know what? We love this deal. Let's, that's, you know, the more work a deal needs, the better the return. Oh man, that mold smells like money as far as I'm concerned, right? right? Yeah, the possibility of return. So we, we called the agent on the other side and, uh, we placed an offer. We said, we'll offer you full price. We need an answer now because we know there's 20 people behind us uh, calling you. So we want to get it and we can sign the, uh, we can be in contract tomorrow. So they accepted I have a quick question for you. How, so how does that work up there? He, he, he won the bid at the auction, but he didn't actually buy it. So he had a contract to buy it? Right, so, so, so he put his 10% cash at the steps. He gave the cash to the, or the check to the referee and what happens is you get 30 days to close. So you okay. have 30 days to come up with the rest of the money. Gotcha. And gotcha. you can put it in your name, but when you close, what he did was an assignment. So he assigned his contract with the referee to us. And he can put it on the MLS uh, while he was waiting in that 30-day period still. Damn. Yeah. So, so a few years ago, you couldn't do that. Now you can... If you, if you specify it's a contract vendee uh, deal, so gotcha. you're buying the assignment basically. Wow. Yeah. Cause there's going to be a lot of markets around the country where folks probably couldn't get away with that. Yeah. That's cool that you can do that in New York. Wow. Yeah, what a great business cool model too. I mean, just go bid on some houses and then turn around and put them in the MLS and never buy yeah, them. That's absolutely. a great model. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we, we got this deal from this guy uh, like that and that's all he does. He, it's, he's a full-time wholesaler. And buys, buys at the courthouse steps. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So it went on MLS. You found it. You went out and looked at it probably immediately. Said, we want it. And yeah. so then what? You had to wait, I guess, that same 30-day period for him to be able to close. No. So basically, you can close the next day. If you have the cash, if the, the, the bank or the referee, they don't care. They just give you that 30 days, okay. I guess, by law. Okay. Um, and we said, you know, we can be under contract tomorrow. We were going to finance this deal with some of our money and we were going to pair it with hard money. Okay. Because the, some, some of these numbers that we handle here are obscene, right? Oh, so yeah. yeah. We're buying this thing for 200000 and our after repair value in our calculation was 385000 Okay. So it needed a significant amount of work. And, you know, we, we felt that this guy needed to offload this deal because once you buy from the steps, you have no opportunity to see the property, do, do any due diligence. You're basically just, you're, you're buying, you know, what it is. So maybe he walked in there and was like, wow, this, you know, this is garbage. Right. I'm walking out of here. Um, and we weren't afraid of that. We actually 
loved it. So, so we calculated our, our construction cost and you know, it was, it was good to go. What happened with him uh, or with this deal was that once we were under contract, within a week we had the contract, the attorneys were, you know, everything, the paperwork together. And then the deal wasn't closing because the attorney's office, which is this, is this big firm that handles REOs all over the nation. They have offices in like basically every corner. Um, their paralegals and their attorneys, they weren't communicating. So the deal couldn't close. The, the, their office couldn't give us a, a good reason why the deal wasn't closing. So we had the money lined up. The wholesaler uh, was ready to close. Our attorney was ready to close. And we had to wait 13 weeks for this thing. Come on. No, no explanation. Was there, surely was a title issue or something. What? No, there was, there was, there weren't any title issues. Everything was clear. We we were able to run title. We were able to go in this property so many times after this, just waiting. Like, you know, we brought in all the contractors, everything lined up because we were just, we were just sitting there waiting. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the day we closed, we were in this humongous conference room with this paralegal and she was like well you know we finally got it and it's it's four months later what in the world so it it was i think it was just on their end these guys were very very busy they they and and suffolk county where i am on long island is one it has the largest amount of arios and foreclosures in the nation so the volume that these people are handling is you know it's ridiculous like wow and even if you look at the properties that come in every week for auction, there's about 400 properties every week that no show way. up in our list. What, now, what year was this that you bought this house? This is 2016. 16. That's so weird. I mean, it's not like, I guess, you know, the rest of the country wasn't experiencing foreclosures like that in 16. Yeah. But, uh, but up there for some reason. And is that still the case? You feel, still yeah. feel like there's a ton of foreclosures coming through your county? Yeah. Yes. Wow. So, yeah, we handle uh, construction projects for one of the largest um, asset managers uh-huh. or REO managers. Yeah. And the only thing that we provide is their construction services. And these guys have about 600 houses in one area called Mastic. And that's all they do. They, they renovate them and then they rent them out. Wow. It's, you know, but, but they own them. I mean, they're taking them, they're foreclosing on these properties and then yeah. they're sister brother company whatever it is is managing those assets so you know, it, it, it just shows you what the area has yeah yeah that's interesting i wonder what the impetus behind that was maybe there's a whole bunch of bad loans written so many <laughs> years ago in there or something who knows yeah that's yeah. crazy well so how did that affect you that's three extra months before you close i mean that's a long time to wait yeah it was a long time and our money our down payment was you know stuck in uh, escrow we couldn't get the money out we couldn't put that money to work um and we so one of the things that when you calculate your purchase price is that is that moment your comps are what that moment tells you right and three months later the numbers can be completely different so that was we were afraid that it would impact us negatively at the end yeah the time frame but and then we were going to miss the the spring season because we were you know it was right like right in the middle of that yeah um but you know, once we were able to close and we we started working, we changed our entire timeline. Instead of we had planned ten weeks of rehab, we ended up doing this in six weeks, six to seven weeks. And what was the what was the total number of rehab? 
the total. So in the end, um, our numbers were um, we spent $85,000 in the rehab. And the reason for this, and you know what, and it, it's so interesting because this house was completely gutted. We had to do mall remediation. We had to uh, do like air test quality and, and a bunch of other things. But this was, it was, everything was ready for us to, to go. So you didn't, we didn't have demo. We didn't have 10 dumpsters. We only had five dumpsters. Because it was already stripped for the most part. Right. The bank had taken everything. Okay. Uh, this house had some roof damage from the year before Sandy, Hurricane Sandy. There was another storm on Long Island and I, something happened to this house and half the roof was missing. And so, you know, so all this water damage over the years and, and whatever. Once the guy was evicted, um, the bank came in and they, they got at the place and we're like, this is great. Thank you. Yeah. Something we don't have to pay for. That helps, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so $85,000 rehab in, what did you say, six weeks? We spent six to seven weeks, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. That's phenomenal, um, man. That's cooking. Yeah, we bought it for 200000 Spent about eighty-five thousand, and you know, between our holding costs, um, closing costs, um, we ended up all in. We ended up spending three hundred and thirty-five thousand. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All in, and then sold it for three eighty-five. No, we sold it for four twenty. Four hundred twenty thousand. So your original estimate of ARV actually went up after you held it for those three months. Yes, the market had changed during those three months, and it, it, it was in a negative effect. It was a completely uh, opposite effect. It, the comps had changed, and, um, and we got a full price offer. We actually listed it for 419,000, thinking we were going to get, you know, 400, 409. And we had an open house. A guy showed up with his family and he loved the house and he was like, look, I don't want to lose this house. So I'm going to give you 420,000. And our agent was like, done. So wow. very fast. And um, this guy was a, uh, uh, he had a VA loan and he came with a letter certifying his loan, which was very odd, but it was great because it, 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 it was almost like, I'm ready to go. Like, like I'm going to close this deal. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think 39 days later we had closed. Goodness gracious. So how long did you actually hold it then? I mean, you didn't own it for very long. Well, after, after, uh, rehab and stuff, it was only, uh, five, five to six weeks. After rehab, so yeah. After rehab. So 12, yeah. call it 12 weeks total. I mean, that's not bad at all. No, it's not bad at all. No, after the whole ordeal, waiting for the deal to close, we moved very, very fast. It's so funny. I mean, because I think about sitting on a property and not closing. This happens to us too for different various reasons, title issues or whatever. And we're always sweating it because like we've got good comps right now. It doesn't mean the market's going to go up. A lot of times you're afraid that more inventory is going to hit. And you know it's going to be a totally different environment three months down the road. It actually, in your case, this played to your favor. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great, and um, our our team was great. Everybody was working fast, and it's just everything kind of like like fell in place without us like really trying. We had we had a lot of stress 
because you know the time the money hard money it's always very stressful and even though we have a very good interest rate with our lender because we've done so many deals with them every every deal they drop the interest a little bit nice nice uh it's still you know stressful because everything is on the line yeah yeah I get that. Well, you guys, the fact that you turned around as quick as you did in a massive renovation, was there anything interesting or unique to the renovation? Or are you guys, I mean, this is your business. So this is, you just yeah. cut right to the chase and knock it out. sounds like. Yeah, we did one thing in this house um, because the area typically, and this was um, a split level. So a lot of people like to rent the first level hmm. and live in the second, you know, the second story, whatever. But you can market a house like that because it's, you know, the house is not zoned. It's not a two family. It's a single family. So you can't use any of that language in your listing or anything, but we added all the, the, the electrical and the plumbing in an area of the house in the first floor with an entrance that looked, it, it looked more like a laundry mud room type of thing with the mm -hmm. floor and everything. But if the, the person that bought it wanted to create his apartment to rent downstairs, he could easily without, you know, having to modify a lot of the construction. And we did that on purpose because the area requires it. We know our target buyer. Um, and, and so we target those areas where your mortgage is not very high. People, uh, if people need to do that, we provide the means to do that. You basically made it house hackable is what you did. Yeah. Like you set it up. So like somebody wants the house hack, the work's been done. They come right in and, and it's turnkey for them. Yep. That's smart. And you think that played into this VA guy coming in and giving you a full price offer? Yeah, we think so. We think yeah. it's, very, it's very common in that area. And, and, and uh, you know, we didn't ask the question. I only met him when we closed, the day of closing. I handed him the keys and I uh -huh. you know, picked up my check and, and, and that was it. But, um, but we, we feel that it was something that, you know, that people would appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. What an interesting story. So, so let me ask you this, anything that you learned from this, anything that you would do differently going forward? I mean, it was, it was a, little bit, a little bit of dumb luck that it was delayed as long as it was. Any takeaways? Well, you know what, Don't, after this, we, we were not afraid to take on like larger projects or spend a little bit more money uh, in construction. Um, even if sometimes you look at something and you feel like, oh, this is too much work. Like I, I really don't want to get involved in this. Sometimes there's a silver lining behind it. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's our biggest takeaway. And, and after that, we were, I guess after every single flip that we sold, we, we just kept going and, um, you know, we were on fire. So we just loved it. That's, so this is one of those jobs for you is a little bit of a stepping stone into, into a larger rehab. You know, yeah. it's, it's funny. It's the stuff that scares the majority of the population away that creates opportunity for investors, yeah. right? So if there's mold and it's dark and dank and boarded up and your average person doesn't want anything to do with it, that's where we as investors, that's our opportunity right there. Oh, Let's come absolutely. and do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we made almost $90,000 in this thing. It's like, oh my God, in one deal. That's amazing. And I haven't seen that again. So yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. um, yeah. That's awesome. Well, this was a fantastic one, Angela. Thanks so much for thank coming you. on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Take care. All right, sit tight, you Deal Farm listeners. We've got more coming up in just a second. But for right now, I want you to do something for me. 
I want you to pick up your phone. Now, if you're driving, just wait till you get to the next stoplight. I want you to go to your Amazon app. I want you to type in Profit Like the Pros. You'll see my paperback book published by Bigger Pockets come up. Okay, now just hit the order button. See how easy that was? Here's the deal, in just two days, you're gonna be enjoying 25 amazing stories of seasoned investors sourcing and funding and profiting from all types of real estate investments. Okay, back to the show, except in this segment, we're gonna talk about the deals that didn't go so well. Hope you enjoy. All right, Angela, tell us about your worst deal ever. <laughs> so our worst deal ever uh, was a property we, we acquired uh, last year and we kept the property for nine months. Okay. The property wasn't selling. And what we found out was that the person that lived in the house, it was a foreclosure um, auction. And you bought it at the steps yourself? Yes. Okay. And, um, when we were in nothing, you know, everything was fine and whatever during the construction time, the neighbors, very, very, uh, curious, you know, the normal stuff. We found out that the guy that lived in the house before that lost it to foreclosure moved next door. He was a little crazy, Uh very, very weird, uh, guy. He had lost it because he had a stroke and couldn't work. And the story is just really sad. And this guy, um, how did he, did he buy the house next door or did he just well, like rent it? Right. So his wife's parents lived next door. Okay. And then the, the parents die, the wife separated from him, moved next door. And then once he lost the house, he moved to the house and he left all this poetry in the walls. He wrote even in the, in the risers, in the steps. All this, this, this nonsense about the American dream and, and losing everything and losing your wife and your kids and, you know, and we get it, right? You, you buy a property that it has been foreclosed and people are bitter, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not nice. Yeah. So he left his thoughts on every single wall. <laughs> so you knew so exactly how up. he felt about this house. Yeah. So, you know, we had to gut everything because we couldn't save any of that stuff. But it was the normal project, whatever. So one day, um, something happened with an electrical cable, a dumpster blew up the electrical and yep. it didn't affect my house, it affected his house. So he comes out and he starts screaming and he's very, very upset. And I try to do everything I can to fix it, fix his cable, fix you know everything. Throughout the course of the next days, this guy kept going on his roof to threaten me. And he and he'd yell obscenities and insults and all kinds of things. I called the cops on him. I had well, my husband came. The the crew that was there at the time, everybody was like coming out defending me. This guy was on his roof, crazy yelling. And I'm thinking like, I'm never gonna sell this house. Oh yeah. This guy next door, like right. he's gonna buy this thing. Um, and he was a hoarder. He had like all kinds of things that I after snow was gone you realize what's under hiding you know under that snow and we're like okay like you know this isn't the best block like oh yeah oh yeah right um did he come to get any of his stuff like was his stuff still at the house did he have to like come and take it still or want to claim any of it or no no all all his stuff was thrown in his yard and okay his house uh he had three legal apartments in the house wow yeah 
Um, and the wife was, the wife was there, the kids were there. It was, you know, it's just a really, really sad guy, very bad. Uh, but it affected us. He started leaving little notes on people's windshields when they would come to see the house, you know, buyers yeah. during open houses, threatening us or say, or telling the buyers like this house, you know, they bought it for 228 and now they're selling it for 409 and blah, blah, blah. And these guys are, you know jerks and you know what insults and whatever so i had our attorney look into it and he was like you know you can send him a letter cease and deceased or something if he continues mm-hmm. or i to go talk to him so we talked to the guy he apologized you know but this thing kept going so i called the town and i was like look i think my neighbor has three legal apartments so they the town came and they posted a note on his door that he had to go to town offices and explain why he had three legal apartments. And that's when it stopped. Like nothing else would stop this guy except for that. So then he knocked on my door and apologized. And he's like, oh, Angela, you've been nothing but nice to me. Seriously, like, I'm really sorry. Like, just stop going, calling the town. Like, you really need to make a living. And I'm like, so do I. Like, I'm not going to be able to sell this house if you keep that nonsense. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's a recipe for disaster. The dude that yeah. got foreclosed living next door and watching you. That's just a total recipe for disaster. Yes. It's, it, yeah, it's horrible. So finally, after, I think like after five failed buyers that, you know, like they would, they would run into the wife in the street and she would start telling the sad oh, story no. or finding notes or whatever. Finally, we sold it and we didn't make the money we were supposed to make because the time that we we were going to be in and out in six months, which is typical for us. Yeah, we're three months later, paying interest, yep. um, you know, and having to deal with this thing. And then the house listed. We listed it for four hundred nine. The house sold for three seventy three thousand. So, so it, you know, and we were we were happy to offload this thing. Yeah, never going to that neighborhood again. <laughs> yeah. that's the. Did you end up making any money on the house when it was all said and done, or? I think $5,000. Okay. So it's basically a break even, which yeah. it's not the end of the world, but tr- I, man, I, it's funny of all the worst deal ever nobody's really talked about the neighbor that's keeping you from selling the house, but we have completely run into that scenario where you don't know the neighbors until you buy the house. And then all of a sudden you've got some crazies yeah. and they will prevent you from selling a house because they're nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that's the worst. Five contracts that fell through because of this joker. Yeah. Yeah. That oh, was, that's juicy. It was sad. And, um, that also confirmed for us why, you know, flipping is great, but we need to, we need to get into, you know, diversify our, our, you know, our work, like get into rentals, you know, or other things because, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know. Well, the more, the more flips you do, the more odds of running into some crazy things like this. I mean, yeah. that's, that's honestly sometimes why it's good to do a lot of flips is because some handful of them are going to go great like your best deal ever and some handful are going to go sideways, but they sort of at least offset each other. Yeah. So that was a good one, Angela. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Hey, Deal Farm listeners. If you haven't heard, I just recently released a book through Bigger Pockets Publishing called Profit Like the Pros. If you dig the best deal ever podcasts, you will definitely want to get your hands on this book. I take 25 stories from some of the top investors in the country and distill them down into 25 separate chapters that will not only entertain you, but educate and inspire you in all different facets of real estate investing. 
from wholesaling and flipping to self-storage, multifamily and commercial, we get into the details of short sales, subject twos, and even land flipping. And whether you're a brand new investor or you have years of experience under your belt, I promise you this book will engage you. If you would, take a minute, go to Amazon and order this book, Profit Like the Pros. And if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks so much, folks, and I will see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.